0: So this is uh, Valentine's week as I'm recording this, and I've been thinking about this idea of what does it mean uh, for God to be with us, uh, and I've been uh, doing some reading in Scripture as usual, and, and turning over some ideas. And as usually happens when I take the time to sit back and dwell in Scripture, and um, God has been connecting some ideas in my head, uh, and He continues to just adjust, if you will, to, to cause me to reevaluate the fixed conclusions that I'd had in the past and and to show me ways in which I think these many, many uh, complex and beautiful and wonderful, different ideas in Scripture all sort of uh, can fit together better uh, if I get rid of some of the old conclusions that I had been quick to jump to. And so, uh, in particular, today we're going to be talking about uh, the idea of Emmanuel, an Old Testament prophecy that uh, that there would be one whose name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We'll see that in a minute, uh, and then we're going to we're going to see how that applies to Christ, but. Um, I'm going to challenge you to think of it in a way differently than you typically do. And and my hope is that if you'll stop and you'll listen and you'll see this, uh, that it will, in some way, it will challenge and in, in, increase your expectation for God's work in your own life and through you uh, in the world that he has placed you in. And so, uh, I hope you'll stick around, uh, not just for the start, but all the way to the end of this week's episode of the Apostles' Mailbox, where we uh, we'll talk about some interesting and challenging ideas. All right, so... um I wanted to begin with a with an example, okay? Because we're talking about this idea of Emmanuel, which means God with us. And uh, when we say a phrase like that, when you take a, a name like that, you sort of have this uh, a picture will come into your head of what that means. Um, but that picture might not be uh, the same for everybody. And the question is, uh, what what picture uh, does God want us to have when we hear that name? Okay. And I think, generally speaking, as um, as modern Western Christians, we have a certain idea in our head when we when we hear that phrase "God with us," and I'm not sure that it's the best one biblically speaking. Uh, but to get us there, I just I just want to uh, to give you a couple a picture here. That's an example. Okay, so imagine that you're uh, that you're a German police woman. <laughs> I say woman because that's what was in the picture that I found, right? So let's imagine you're a German policewoman, and uh, and your boss says, well, there's an altercation going down uh, in the square, and I want you to go down, and I want you to sort it out, and and uh, arrest anybody who needs to be arrested, but basically just break it up because we don't we don't want this unrest happening, and then and then he says, you know, so go ahead, and uh, we're with you, and the question is, then what does he mean we're with you? Uh, does he mean uh, we're emotionally, like our thoughts and our prayers go with you as you go in there and a bunch of unruly people <laughs> beat the tar out of you? Uh, does he mean we're with you? Like if you end up in the hospital, we'll have your medical bills, we'll get your back. Or does he mean uh, something else? Because if he says we're with you and you just think in terms of like, like emotionally he's supportive of you and you're a, a petite uh, female police officer, you might not feel super confident going into that uh, situation. But, but let's say he says, okay, we're with you. And also, uh, we're going to send, uh, your buddy here, who's a guy and who's, uh, clearly a head taller than you. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, if he's with me, then, okay, I guess I don't feel so bad about, uh, going into this encounter. And then, uh, uh, but it's still, like, it's, me and him, and maybe there's, a, maybe there's a bunch of people there. I don't know how many people are fighting. And then, and then what if he says, though, what if he says, oh, we're with you, uh, you and your two buddies, you know. And now he sends the giant, right? <laughs> so now you've got uh, three of you, and uh, two of them are significantly bigger and badder than you are. And now all of a sudden you're like, okay, I can go do that, right? It's a very big difference, isn't it, between this picture and this picture? If you're alone and somebody is morally or emotionally supportive of you, that's very different than if they're physically present with you, okay? So, I, wa- I wanted to bring that idea to you because we have this promise, all right? In in Matthew 1, we have this reference uh, to an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Isaiah in which God had promised that uh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And and we we read that and we go, well, what does that mean? What does that mean that God is with us? Does it mean God is, like, sort of emotionally with us and He's just going to watch us go and suffer? Or does it mean something else? Okay? And I think what happens, though, is because we know that in Matthew, when this is talking about, it's specifically talking about Jesus. Right? And we think, okay, so Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us, which is true. But here's here's where I think we we get off track. Okay? Because we all, if you're in a Catholic or Protestant if you're a post-council of Nicaea Christian, uh, when you hear God with us referring to Jesus, you think, okay, so here's Jesus. He's fully God and he's fully man. He is the same essence of God, but he's a different person. And you have this like whole doctrine of the Trinity that comes with you and and the doctrine of the incarnation that, that Jesus was God and then he became man, but he was fully God and he was also fully man at the same time. And so when you hear God with us, us, you think that the God who is with us is Jesus. Like, Jesus is the God who is with you, uh, and that's what the term Emmanuel means. But I was reading something this week that caused me to think that perhaps uh, that is not what the title Emmanuel was primarily about. Or maybe, maybe that's even too much of a statement, but let's consider this, okay? So in Luke chapter 7, Jesus has been out teaching and healing people, and he comes upon a funeral procession, and there's a dead body there, and Jesus walks up to the dead body, and he tells him to, to get up. And so in Luke 7, we read, uh, starting in verse 15, and the dead man then sat up, and he began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. And fear sees them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. Okay? So when we read this, when we read this statement, God has visited his people. And this is on the lips of some people somewhat early in Jesus' ministry, certainly not post-Council of Nicaea Christianity, uh, Council of Nicaea being in like 325 AD. Um, The doctrine of the Trinity and the incarnation of Jesus Christ had not been defined and worked out and and it's easy for us like two thousand years later to assume that's what the people meant when they said this but the odds of the people there at the moment that jesus raises this kid from the dead the odds that the people there are saying like oh this is literally god uh this this person is god and uh, we're seeing him, and then he's raised this person from the dead. The odds that that's what they're actually saying uh, is pretty dang low. I suppose there's a a small possibility of that, Um, but these are Jewish people, and Jewish people knew there was only one God, and he was uh and 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 you couldn't see him and live, right? The Old Testament God says, no one can see me and live. So when they're when they're witnessing this happen and they're saying that God has visited his people, what I don't think they're saying is that I don't think they're making a statement about the incarnation. What they're saying is this. Look at the first parallel statement here. They're saying, a great prophet has risen among us. Now, a prophet was one who spoke for God, who spoke as God's representative. So when a prophet spoke in the Old Testament days, right, people heard that it was the same as if God had spoken to them. And so they're looking at this person at Jesus doing, you know, teaching these things. And they're saying a great prophet has risen among us. And they're seeing him do these mighty works, healing of this dead person. And they're saying, oh, God is here at work among us, healing them. Uh, and so they recognize that in order to raise the dead, you have to have the power of God at work. And so they're saying, look, God is present here. He has visited his people. But it is, it is our minds that we're thinking, you know, thou- thousands of years later, we're looking back and we're thinking, oh, they must understand uh, the incarnation. They must understand the two natures of Christ, that he's fully man and fully God. I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think these people are so far ahead of the program that they've uh, they've already uh, come up with an idea that the, the church fathers would still be arguing about two or three hundred years after Jesus, right? That had to be that was sort of like worked out in these big theological debates. What they are recognizing, though, is that God is present and God is at work. And, and so the question then is, well, why do I belabor the point? Well, there's a reason here. Uh, one is this. If we look at this and we say, Emmanuel, this title, this name Emmanuel is Jesus' name, then it causes us to scratch our heads a little bit because we realize that nobody actually ever called Jesus Emmanuel as far as we can tell uh, here on earth, right? His parents named him Jesus. That's actually a Latinization of the name. They probably called him like Yeshua. Uh, And so uh, nobody, you know, Jesus didn't go to to school, and they gave him the nickname Emmanuel. Um, and even when he's on the cross, people aren't saying, this is Emmanuel. Like, they called him Jesus, they called him the Christ, uh, the Messiah. Um, they didn't actually call him Emmanuel. And so what is Emmanuel? Well, Emmanuel is a title. Emmanuel is, is a, it's a title that's applied to Jesus that says, people will recognize that God is with us in him. OK, and, and so I want you to just sort of categorize this as like this prophecy in Isaiah about uh, God, them calling him God with us is not a prophecy that his name on his birth certificate will be Emmanuel son of Joseph but rather that this is what he what he will be known as he will be called Emmanuel and you see that fulfillment then of course in Luke chapter 7 when they say God has visited his people so they look at Jesus and they say Jesus is the place where Emmanuel where God is among his people. God has visited his people. And so the question is exactly, in what sense exactly does that happen? And I think the answer we can start to see if we turn to John 14, where Jesus is teaching about who he is. Okay, so look at this in John 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples, specifically he's Uh, talking to uh, Thomas, who has wanted Jesus to show him the Father, and Jesus has said, don't you get it? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, Jesus says, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. So I'm just going to stop, and I'm going to underline a few of these things here, okay? And so Jesus wants his disciples to know that these words that he is speaking are not on his own authority. Why do I underline that? Well, here's why. Jesus is saying, I'm speaking the words of God, but he's saying, that's not based on my authority. In other words, Jesus is not saying that these words have authority because I am God and I spoke them right? He's saying, these words that I spoke, uh, that I speak, they have authority, but it's not my authority. This authority comes from someone other than me, right? I do not speak on my own authority, right? The authority that he speaks with is the authority of the Father, right? And also, he says, the works that I do, he says, the works that I'm doing are not works done out of my own power right he says the father who dwells in me does his work do you see this so what jesus is saying is he's saying that my teaching and my works they flow from the authority and the wisdom and the power of the father who is in me we see this repeated again and again right he dwells in me he is in me And then he says also that I am in the Father, of course. Uh, And so (laughs) Jesus says, you can know that the Father is in me. Why? On account of the works themselves. So Jesus is willing to look at these people and say, look, you, you know that only God can do these things, right? And this is the point where our theology sometimes gets ahead of us where we would say, aha, see, Jesus did these miracles like he calmed the storm and he raised the dead, and that proves that Jesus is God. That's typically how we use these miraculous deeds here uh, to, in, in, in our argumentation to prove that Jesus is God. But when Jesus points out these miracles, he doesn't use those miracles to prove that he's God. He uses those miracles to prove what? He says, believe that the Father is in me. So Jesus says that the works that he's doing and the teaching that he is doing flows from the Father who is in him. Does that make sense? Uh, So, and and of course, if there's any other possible explanation to this, we would assume, or if there's a better explanation for this, that when Jesus is teaching about it, Jesus would do this. Uh, But Jesus doesn't argue like we argue. Right. And so uh, I've probably done this as a pastor said, you know, like only God, only God has the authority to forgive sins and Jesus forgives sins. Therefore, Jesus is God. But uh, what Jesus says is I speak not on my own authority. So when Jesus says to the, you know, to a guy, look, your sins are forgiven. He says, that's not based on my own authority. He says, it's the father in me. It's, it's his authority that I'm speaking in. He says, when I do these miracles, when I raise the dead, when I heal the sick, um, when I proclaim liberty to the captives, he said, that's not me, that's the Father who's doing his work in me. And he uses these miraculous things in this authority as proof to believe that I am in the Father, that he is united to the Father, and the Father is in me. OK, so again, if you take your theology first and then you read your Bible, we tend to read past these things and we don't catch them. But what, what we see when we stop and we look at what Jesus says, he says these miraculous deeds and these shocking things I'm saying, he said they don't flow from my own personal authority, but they flow from the Father because the Father is in me. All right. Now, why do you care? You know, you say, well, why do we care? Well, here's why we care. Because he goes on. He says, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, greater works than these will he do. Okay, so he tells us, you've got to understand that I speak not with my own authority, And I do these miracles, not of my own power, but the Father does them in me. And he gives me the authority to say these things. And then he turns to the disciples and he says, truly, I tell you, right? If you believe in me, if you're in me, then you're going to do the same kind of works that I did. He's not talking about starting small businesses or or, or home Bible studies. He's, uh, he's talking about doing the works that he does. And he says, greater works than these will he do. Well, how are you going to do greater works than Jesus? Well, he tells you. He says, but, because look, he says, I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus says, so God works through me, and I'm going to go be with God, and if you ask me to do anything, then I'll do it through you, right? So uh, Jesus got his power from the Father, and all of the power from the Father has been in all the authority from the Father has been entrusted to him, and then he says, now I'm going to entrust that same power and authority to you. And when you ask me for things in my name, I will do them, and that's going to give glory to the Father, because it's the Father's power at work in me, and that's the power that's going to go to work through you. You understand what's going on here, right? The, the, <laughs> what is going on is we're coming to this conclusion, hopefully, as we look at this, that puts us in the same boat that Jesus was in when Jesus was on earth. Where, in, in other words, where uh, we are dependent upon the one in the heavenly realm who does his work through us and who offers his authority to us in order to accomplish his purposes. So what does Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father, and he, that is the Father, will give you another helper. And This helper will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, that is, the Spirit is with them already, and will be in you, because there is coming a day when the Holy Spirit will indwell his followers. Okay, so are you following along then? Jesus says he's going to go to the Father. The Father is going to put his, the, the, the very Spirit of God in us. He will be in us. So we ask the question then, what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. So Jesus, of course, uh, what is it? Colossians, I I believe, says, in him the fullness of the deity was pleased to dwell in bodily form. So Jesus has the fullness of God dwelling in him in bodily form. And he says, it's not me and my authority by which I do these things. It's from the authority that the Father has given me. And it's not me and my power that I'm doing these things. It's the Father doing his work in me and through me, and then he says, and now you, the the same Spirit who dwelled in me is gonna dwell in you, and he's gonna do these same things. Romans eight puts it this way. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, who raised Jesus from the dead, that is the Father, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Right? We know the helper that God sends will dwell in us. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Romans is, uh, in this particular juncture, he's not talking about doing miraculous words. But what he is saying is this, that there was the source of the power that raised Jesus from the dead was God by his spirit. And that same spirit lives in you. And that same spirit that has enough power and life to bring life back to the body of the, the dead body of Jesus Christ is enough. Has enough life to give us, you and I, uh, this divine life uh, for godliness and and in His context for godliness, for righteousness, for holiness, um, but also uh, for obedience and for fulfilling God's work. And so let's take another passage from Paul here in Colossians 1. The Apostle Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. And, and you know, you're like, wait, what? What? the first time i studied this in seminary i was trying to write a paper about a related issue here and i read that and i was like well jesus can't be lacking anything like his work was complete and it was full and it, there was nothing missing there um, and i don't think paul is saying like jesus didn't do a good enough job so we got to finish you know his work um and and people interpret this one differently uh <laughs> to be frank uh, but what i think is going on here is this is that Paul knows that building up the body, you know, for the sake of his body, the church, um, he says, the building up of that body requires suffering. You know, because when you go and you preach the truth, people reject it. They don't believe it. They fight against it. They, they, you know, they stoned him and they beat him and they ran him out of town and they hated him. And, and so, uh, in order to plant the church and in order to to build the church, in order to build up the body of Christ, like that work was going to involve a lot of suffering, even as Jesus was faced with all kinds of persecution and resistance when he uh, came and did his ministry, right, and preached the good news of the kingdom, and and eventually, of course, was crucified for our sin. And so he says, in order for the church then to reach the world, the same process of people going out and being rejected and refused and persecuted, like that still has to be done. And, and since Jesus left uh, he went back to the Father's right hand. He sends us His Spirit, so that all of us who go out and build up the church, like we're doing, with a work that's not yet done, which includes suffering, which is to build up the body. Okay. So, as as we might expect, he goes on and he and he explains this. He says, "I became a minister of this church, right, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you." To make the Word of God fully known. Okay, so his suffering that he's doing is in the process of making the Word of God fully known. uh, And the Word of God, which is this mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. In a mystery, is something that can't be known except that God reveals it to us. Okay, and God has, according to Paul's explanation, revealed it to us. So, the mystery then, which is now revealed, right, is to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, right? And the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? So, (laughs) the mystery, the thing that's hidden that Paul is suffering in order to get out to the world, the mystery. Uh, made known, even among the Gentiles, is Christ, the anointed one in us, the hope of glory. So, the hope of our glory is not uh, the just the washing away of sins, all right? He doesn't say the, the glory of this mystery, which is, you know, that you don't have to go to hell when you die someday. He says the glory of this mystery, what is truly glorious about this, is that we would be indwelt uh, by that, that Christ would be in us, right? And that would be the hope of our glory. Because who is Christ? He is the one exalted over every, uh, every, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, like every ruler, every power, every authority, every being in heaven and on earth and under the earth bows to Jesus Christ. And then he says, here's something glorious, that same Christ is in you. And so Paul is going to go on and on about talking about him, him we proclaim, Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, okay, so that's Christ in you, and that's you in Christ. Does that sound familiar? In John 14, Jesus said, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And here, Paul says, now Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. You are mature in Christ. And so he's working for this. He toils, he says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so Paul says, all the stuff that I'm doing is according to this spirit that indwells me and that works through me. Okay? And so what do we know about Paul's ministry? It happened with great miraculous power and effect. And and uh, it was because God's spirit indwelt Paul. What is it when God makes his dwelling among us? It's Emmanuel. So, Jesus, being the first and perfect fulfillment of this promise that God would be among us, now he goes to the Father and he says, The Father now is going to send his spirit to you, and God will be among you. It will be Emmanuel, it will be God among you, but that's in you, and in me, and in everyone who's found in Christ. And as Jesus was in the Father and Father the Father was in Jesus, now he turns around and he says, Now you will be in me and I will be in you. Right? I in you, you in me, and I in you. And so it's this chain, right? Where The Father is in the Son who's in the adopted sons who take on his work. So 2 Corinthians 5 says... Uh, Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So as it turns out then, what is going on is that God wanted us to be his. We had a ruptured relationship with God and, and he sent Christ to make to make that way. And when Christ was on earth doing His ministry, God is doing it by means of His Spirit, empowering and authorizing and working through Jesus. Uh, And now that Jesus goes back to the Father, Jesus says, now the same Spirit is, I'm gonna send Him to you, and the Spirit is gonna be among you. And so for God to be with you doesn't mean that we pull Jesus out of heaven and make Him come back so He can join our small group and be with us. But what it means is that God, by means of His Spirit, is already present in your small group or in your Sunday morning church gathering or in your home or in, even, in your, even in your quiet time, even in your own private devotional time of worship with the Father, right? And this is, a, this is a mystery. It's a profound mystery. It's an incredible glory that God would put His very Spirit in us and then He would do the same things through us. And so here's, you know, and here's why, again, why I'm belaboring the point is because I think sometimes what we, what we do is we think in terms of like, uh, crud here. <laughs> we think in terms of, of, uh, we, we think in terms of like the Trinity, we think Holy Spirit is up here with the sun is up here with the father and we're like well these three are God and then we have us down here and we're just people and and so we look at what Jesus did and we say well we can't really do that right because he's part of the Trinity and we're not part of the Trinity and so how could we ever how could we ever do that Jesus does these things because he's God but what what Jesus seems to be saying in John 14 is that, is that the Son uh, took on flesh, that He became one of us, and then it was it was the power of God at work through the Son, with authority and with power. And so, if if the the power that marked Jesus ministry and his effectiveness and his authority was the authority actually of the father working through the spirit and so this was the presence of God with us then if we if we understand this that while God is on that while while Jesus is on earth he's living a entirely human existence then we can say okay so now when the son returns to the Father's right hand, and the Holy Spirit comes and works in us, then we can expect the same sort of authority and the same sort of power that was the dynamic at work through the Son. Right? And so so we look at this and we go, oh, well, you know, half my life, I, I, I've looked at like Jesus is like up there and untouchable and and, and nothing to, you know, not having anything to do with me like yeah he's fully human like i am but he's also fully god like i am not and therefore everything miraculous and everything divine we we attribute to jesus divine nature and everything human and limited and whatever we attribute to our human nat- his human nature and we actually do this when we talk about jesus of the trinity is you know, theologians say, "Well, that was his human nature at work, and that was his divine nature at work." And we like, like, split Jesus into two halves, and everything supernatural and powerful and amazing, we chalk up to him being God, and everything like normal and human and weak, we att- attach to him being human. And and then we look at ourselves and we say, "Well, we only have the human part, so we only have the the weak and the and the and the, and the weary and the and the finite part." And then all of the cool supernatural, powerful things that Jesus did, those were his divine nature, and and. We don't have access to that divine nature, and so we can't do any of those things. But that's not what what Jesus is saying here. When he looks at himself, he says, The power and the authority, they came from God, and they were at work through me. And now I'm going back to the Father, and I'm going to send the Spirit. The Father will send the Spirit, and he's going to do the same things I've done, and even greater things, right? We saw that. Uh, He said, Greater things will you do not because we are God, but because God's Spirit works through us. And so there's actually a, a, an idea that, they, that is far more common in Eastern Orthodox circles, uh, this idea of theosis, which is this partaking in the nature of God in some regard. And of course, as theologians are, none of this is simple and I'm oversimplifying it. And none of this is short. And everybody, of course, disagrees about exactly how it works and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the point is like in Eastern Orthodox circles, there's this idea of theosis, which translated might be called divinization, which is that we partake in some degree, we partake in the divine nature. And so in Second Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, Peter writes, His divine power, that is, God's divine power, is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This idea that God puts his spirit in you and he conforms you to the very nature of who he is, that you become like him, that you partake in the life, right? Remember, we uh, in Romans 8, we saw Paul said uh, uh, that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and he gives us life. And so there is this... Uh, this dynamic that probably exceeds our average um, comprehension about what it means to be found in Christ and to be united to Him, and I think we undersell it because we're so busy overselling the v- divine nature in Christ while He's on Earth, right? And so, you know, my my all of this to to sort of bring it all back together uh, is is this like if you. In your, in your reading of Scripture, in your examination of the life of Christ, if you bring with you these ideas you say, okay, Jesus is fully human, and he's fully God, and sometimes the divine nature of Christ is on display and working, and sometimes the human nature of Christ is on work and display, then what you naturally do is that you take all of the miraculous, powerful, wonderful, uh, transforming things that Jesus do, and you ascribe them to his divine nature, and that that becomes out of touch or out of reach for us. And then you take all of the weak and just, you know, normal, like he was tired and he was hungry and those things, and then you attach those to yourself, and, and that's the only part of Jesus you can identify with. But he doesn't want us to identify with him in that way. He wants us to know that as he was on earth and the Father was working through him and the Father had given him all authority on heaven and earth, and then he says, okay, now I go to the Father and we're going to send you the Spirit, and then you will speak with all our authority and also with all our power, like it changes the... The way that you pray, and it changes the way that you obey, and it changes the way that you minister. It changes the way that you expect what you expect out of your own life. So the question is for you today: Like, is Emmanuel God with us? Did that end? In the year 33 AD, or whenever they crucified Jesus, and then he rose from the dead, and then he went back to heaven, did Emmanuel stop then? Did God stop being with us? Or is Emmanuel still true, not only just in the one in whom God was pleased for his fullness to dwell in bodily form but is that also true with those of us who Jesus calls brothers and co-heirs with him the ones of whom he says I will ask my father and he will give you another spirit who is with you and will be in you forever because i think if we if we take that then we begin then it it radically transforms everything about our lives And we stop thinking in terms of like, oh, that would have been nice to live in the old days when sort of Jesus was around doing miraculous things. And we say, how incredible is it that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in me? And whatever I ask in Jesus' name, whatever I ask, consistent with his character and his will and his plan, all of these things he will answer and God will do miraculous things. That I, that God has called me in some incredible, unspeakably glorious way to be a partaker in the divine nature, so that even as Jesus said, I in the Father and the Father in me, he would turn and he would say, I in you and you in me. Because those things don't happen if we put all the miraculous of Jesus and we we pin it to his divine nature, because the divine nature of Jesus then leaves the earth, and uh, and we're left just us alone as humans uh, but if the ministry and the power and the effectiveness of the life uh, at work in Jesus was not stuff that was intrinsically his according to his essence and his substance but it was it was uh, exercised by him and it was displayed by him because of the presence of God by his spirit at work in and through Jesus then those same experiences are available to us today. And that same wisdom is available to us today, and the same power is available to us today in accordance with the Father's will. And so, I started today by saying that I wanted to encourage you to think a little bit differently, to change your mind, and that's what I want you to see. That Emmanuel is not just about uh, a guy who lived and left thirty three years of human existence and is gone. But God with us started in Jesus and it never ended and that it continues in you and through you. And so go and be, be God with us to your coworkers, be God with us to your neighbors, be God with us to your family. Let the spirit of God have total freedom and control and welcome in your life to let God work through you uh, in accordance with his glorious goodness and righteousness and grace. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. What a good God that he would put his spirit in us and say, Emmanuel still is at work today.